On this episode of Fantasy NFL Today, a new month equals a new conference. That's right, we wrapped up the AFC last week covering all 16 teams and we're moving on to the NFC for 16 more teams leading right up to our drafts. So beep beep and jump in my hot rod, partner, and let's ball with the ball to bang the bang diggy diggy up to the Motor City of Detroit. Welcome to Fantasy NFL Today, presented by HoopBall. Today is Tuesday, August 2nd. I am your host, Anthony Germain, and you can find me on Twitter at the Talking Sunday handle. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-G, Talking Sunday. That's all one word. And man, oh man, we have officially wrapped up the AFC. Lots of great content for everything fantasy related. So if you missed any of our episodes, be sure to go back and check those out. That's over 16 episodes so far covering each team individually from the AFC. We covered the entire offenses of each team, guys. We've had amazing guests come on to help break down these teams, who to grab, who to pass on, who the best sleepers are, so you can dominate your draft nights and leave everyone in the dust. So again, don't miss them and go back and figure out which best draft strategy works for you. Mock, 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 because it's mocking season. If you're not mocking, start doing it now. It's August 2nd. You're behind the eight ball. The more you mock, the better off you'll be. Get familiar with that draft board and get familiar where everybody is coming off. Let your opponents follow those Mickey Mouse cheat sheets from the ESPNs and CBSs while you snipe one by one all the guys that we've been talking about right here on this podcast. Be the viper and attack. Don't sit back and be the next best available guy in your league. Attack, attack, attack. All right. Enough of that, and let's kick this new month off with a whole new conference. Enter the NFC. We are entering the NFC as we speak, as we go into August. And we're going to head up north again. Traveling clockwise, we're going to start in the NFC North. Next week, we'll do the East, followed by the South, and we'll finish it off with the West. And as we go up into the North, where it's cold and there's tundras and Viking ships, I want to kick it off. Kick this new conference off with the biggest jocks of them all. You know who I'm talking about. The Detroit Lions. Right? The jocks. The gold standard New England Patriot way didn't work. So they scrapped it and went full balls to the walls, right? It's like one extreme to the next. The Patriot way to packing lips and biting kneecaps. Yeah! My God, what is going on up there in Michigan? But here we are. They scrapped the whole thing. Or as I like to say, they blew the whole goddamn thing up. They blew it all up. Start all over from the bottom. They brought in Brad Holmes and John Dorsey at the very top. The GM calling the shots. Get some better player talent in there. Then they went in and they hired the rootin' tootin' Dan Campbell to be the new head coach after three miserable years under Matt Patricia. The rocket scientist. The pencil guy. You know, I had the pencil behind the ear with the laminated sheet all the time. The hell's he writing on? 
But here we are with Dan Campbell. He spent the last five seasons as the tight ends coach with the New Orleans Saints. But if you remember, he actually had a stab at being a head coach back in 2015 with the Miami Dolphins after they fired Joe Philbin midseason. Campbell finished with a 5-7 and seven record with an offense that ranked 27th overall, so not very good. The hope here is that he learned enough under Sean Payton to bring that New Orleans-type offense to the Detroit Rock City. But even if that's the case, and that's a big if, this team is not anywhere close to being competitive in terms of talent. It's not built to win anytime soon, so buyer beware when shopping around these parts of town. The team also signed Anthony Lynn to be the offensive coordinator who's been ridiculed for his poor in-game decision-making during his time spent as the head coach with the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm not sold on Lynn calling the plays, but maybe he's better suited as an offensive coordinator than a head coach. Because sometimes, these guys are just better in certain roles, and if you're a Lions fan, you're hoping that this is the case. But he gives me those Pat Shermer vibes. Wasn't a good head coach. And now back in the coordinator role, is just meh. He's just meh with the Broncos. You've seen that Broncos offense. They can't do anything up there. And this is the same type of vibe I get from Anthony Lynn. It's not like we're suddenly going to see this genius game plan. So what are we doing wasting our time? Just everything the Lions are doing, although very entertaining, is highly questionable. And I don't see these Lions coming up from that cellar anytime soon. And they've been down there for a long, long time. But anyways, let's see if we can find any fantasy value on this roster because that's exactly what we do here on Fantasy NFL Today. We find the gems. We find those guys that are going to help us get to the dance. Because remember, if you make the dance, you have a chance. And what I mean is if you get into the playoffs in your fantasy leagues, Anything can happen. One more time. If you make the dance, you have a chance. And that's all we're trying to do. So let's start with one of the positions that has some appeal. That's the running back position. We got two running backs that are coming off the boards for fantasy players. We have DeAndre Swift as he enters his sophomore year. And we have Jamal Williams, ex-Green Bay Packer. Swift finished as the RB20 and Williams finished as the RB38 with very similar stats in terms of yardage. Swift had 144 carries for 521 yards and eight touchdowns, tacked on 357 and two touchdowns through the air, and Williams, very similar, had 119 carries for 505 yards and two touchdowns and also tacked on 236 and a touchdown through the air. Now, I know a lot of people are high on DeAndre Swift because this team lacks talent. So they think he's going to be the guy. The offense is going to run through Swift. But Dan Campbell and Anthony Lynn have both referred to DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams as a one-two punch. Campbell stated whoever has the hot hand is who they're going to roll with. And I believe them. And a split seems intimate. Now, because Campbell worked with the Saints last year, It's easy to say that they envision the two working as an Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray or Mark Ingram-like timeshare. I was low on Swift coming out of Georgia in 2020. I didn't think he graded out that well in college. And I'm still low on him, even though we're expected to see an increased workload under this new coaching staff. 
I think the Lions are trying to make a conscious effort to establish the run of a true rushing attack. Because if you look over the last five years, the Lions have finished in 27th in rushing yards and in yards per attempt. 27th out of 32. So it's clear by bringing in this coaching staff that they want to establish a rushing attack. They want to get better in that, in that field because they never have been good in that field. And that wasn't just Matt Patricia. Two of those years was Jim Caldwell. But everything about this team is pointing down. Most likely, they'll be playing from behind. So it's going to be very hard for this team to establish a true rushing attack. So Swift, as an early third-round pick where his ADP sits, is a high price to pay for someone that will be splitting these carries in an offense that will be playing from behind. But he has the edge over Williams simply because of the role he'll play as a pass-catching back, plus there should be a lot of opportunity to be the trash man. And I know a lot of fantasy players like the trash man. And what I'm talking about is the garbage time. The garbage time at the end where the player gets all these yards and it basically means nothing in the real life game. And it should play a big factor. And that doesn't sound bad, but you're relying on a lot of ifs. If they're playing from behind. If he'll get 15 carries. If he'll get X amount of receptions out of the backfield. I don't like too many ifs in the third round. Some better grabs in round three, Justin Jefferson, Darren Waller, Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson, David Montgomery, all way better options for more consistency. Just another example of a player I don't hate. I don't hate Swift. I think he's a solid player, but he's just overpriced. And I refuse to pay more than face value. So I'll pass. Jamal Williams, the division trader. As a mid-11th round pick has a little more value. He's a great value at cost considering he's demonstrated three-down ability and Lynn has consistently sent praise his way. But with that split and the team advertising they'll be riding the hot hand, it's most likely another pass for me. In the 11th round, I might be more willing to take a shot on a wide receiver like Rashad Bateman on the Baltimore Ravens or Elijah Moore, one of my favorite sleepers this year, or Justin Fields if you waited on a quarterback. I don't hate the pick of Jamal Williams. I just don't love it. He's just one of those players that sits there on the board, and if I pick him, I feel gross. And that's not exciting. We want potential. We want excitement. We want a party on draft night. So let's get this party started. And there's another guy that they drafted, Jamar Jefferson in that backfield. No real value here at all. Will most likely be touchdown dependent because of his sheer power as a bruiser. But he was a seventh round pick out of Oregon State and is just one of the slowest backs in this draft after clocking a dreadful 4.6540 yard dash. I mean, he is slow, but he's powerful. But he'll be touchdown dependent. And on this podcast, we don't like touchdown dependent because in redraft, we can't predict when those touchdowns will come, making it very hard for us to set him in a lineup and trust him. So you can fully ignore Jefferson. Don't even star him or put him in your watch list. He means nothing. So one of the things I wanted to touch on was the Detroit Lions offensive line. And I wanted to do this for a second because it's the biggest strength of the team and ranks as a top 10 line as we enter the 2021 season. A strong offensive line is usually good news for fantasy players, but will it matter? The team selected who many consider to be the best O-line prospect for years, tackle Panay Sewell out of Oregon with the number seven overall pick. 
But one knock on Sewell may be that we haven't seen him play a snap in football in almost two years now. He opted out for COVID reasons for the 2020 season, and he played so well in 2019 that he just sat out. But if everything the scouts have propped him up to be, it shouldn't matter. Another twist or interesting thing about this Panay Sewell thing is that the Lions decided to move him over from left tackle, which he played at Oregon, to right tackle. And it seems he might not be as comfortable with that after admitting that the move will not be easy. Just another Lion thing we're doing here. But regardless, the prospect should be a major boost on the line, even though they've decided to leave Taylor Decker on the left side. He's entering his sixth season with the Lions and coming off the best season as a pro. So the decision to keep him there makes sense. I get it. Don't fix what's not broke. I get it. But we're talking about one of the best prospects, or so they say, one of the best prospects to come out of football in a long time. Now, I'm not a big Pac-12 guy. I think they're a little softer than a lot of these other power conferences in college football, but we'll see. USC, Oregon, they tend to be a little softer. But if this guy is as good as advertised, then none of this should matter. Center Frank Ragnow is also coming off one of his best seasons as a pro as he enters his fourth season with the club. It's the guard position that's the weak point, but at least the anchors are solid and the centerpiece is in place. So this line is primed to be one of the better ones in the league, which is good news for the new quarterback, Jared Goof. And for any of you that have been following me, yes, I did not say that wrong. Jared Goof. He is the biggest goofball in the league, and it will be proven this year even further. Goof finished as the QB 18 behind Baker Mayfield and Cam Newton as the starter for the Rams last season in fantasy. Since 2018, he has gradually regressed worse and worse with each going season. He threw just under 4,000 passing yards for only 20 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. I tried to tell everyone from the very beginning, the get-go, I tried to tell everyone that this guy is one of the biggest airheads to play the position. I knew it from the start when he claimed that the sun set in the air on hard knocks during his rookie campaign. And I don't care what anyone says. His success came on the shoulders of Sean McVay hurrying that team to the line so that the head coach can read the defense, change the play, and call in the audible for goof. All he had to do was snap the ball and make the throw. And even that task seemed too tall. The dream is over in LA and he was shipped to Detroit along with two first-round picks and a third-round pick in exchange for longtime starter Matthew Stafford. Now, in the long run, I think Detroit wins this trade considering where they are as an organization in the current moment. A formula to win, not the formula to win. A formula to win in the NFL is to go for the Super Bowl championship when your quarterback is still in the rookie contract. It gives the team the ability to load up on talent before breaking the bank. We've seen this with the Philadelphia Eagles with Carson Wentz. The Rams didn't win the Super Bowl, but they made a Super Bowl appearance by doing the same thing with Jared Goff. Like I said, it's just a method. It's not the method. You've seen Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, right? But the thing with Tom Brady is he keeps taking the pay cut. He keeps siphoning the money out to the rest of the team. So unless you have a very selfless quarterback... The other way I just described is the most realistic. But the Lions know they can't win now. So taking on Goof's contract was nothing more than a salary dump. 
more than likely he won't be with the team moving forward. Look no further than what Houston did with Brock Osweiler to the Browns. It's the same exact thing. Same situation. But I think the Lions win because of the acquired two future first rounders. With that extra draft capital, that gives them the flexibility to go get whoever they want to be their future franchise quarterback. So Goff should be nothing more than a bridge quarterback as we head into the 2022 season. But with all that being said, Goff should be focused on having a good season because if he fails, he's looking at becoming a career backup. And unfortunately for him, I think that's exactly where he's heading. With McVay no longer being able to hold his hand, I'm seeing a disaster on the horizon, and this can get ugly fast. This is why I'm just down on everyone on this team, including the running backs. If Jared Goff becomes an interception machine, they'll be forced to air the ball out much more than they'd like to. Remember, they're trying to establish a strong rushing attack. And the scary part is they don't have a viable backup. Tim Boyle, who the hell is that? I'll tell you who he is, an undrafted quarterback out of Eastern Kentucky. This is scary for everyone on this team. We can confidently ignore Goof in standard half-point PPR 10-12 to man leagues, even as a quarterback 2 slash backup, and his current ADP is reflective of that. He's going undrafted. Good. Keep that loser there. So if Goff does have this bad season that I'm predicting and there's no viable backup, that is really going to affect the next position I'd like to talk about, and it's these wide receivers. And I'm going to be honest, there's not much to talk about here. Even though they're starters, the talent is grim. Terrell Williams enters his sixth season in the league and has only broke 1,000 yards once in his career back in 2016. And he hasn't come close ever again. He's a 600-yard receiver with a low single-digit touchdown ceiling. Rashad Perriman, one of the biggest busts in NFL recent history. Drafted as a first-round pick back in 2015, has never gone over 650 yards as a Raven, Brown, Buccaneer, or Jet. And now he tries again on his fifth team with the Lions. Quintez Sefris, rookie sixth-round pick out of Wisconsin. Six foot one, 200 pounds, which is good. Hits that sweet spot that I like. But there's no substance here. He ran a 4.73 at his pro day. So he's really slow and doesn't have any other impressive metrics. Geronimo Allison, another division trader like Jamal Williams from Green Bay, had a couple big catches in his career, but just another underwhelming receiver. He only broke 300 yards once during his time with Aaron Rodgers and company. 300. No, that's not wrong. It's 300. That's crazy. All of these guys are going undrafted in most redraft leagues and should remain that way. Again, even though some of them will start, some of them will get opportunity, they're all just lacking NFL-type talent to produce on a consistent basis. So what are we going to waste our time with these guys for? Mediocrity? No. But there is someone popular within this fantasy community. And the guy I'm talking about is Amonra St. Brown. But honestly, if you look at it a little bit deeper, it's just more of the same of what they already have. And he's a little bit shorter. He's 5'11", just under 200 pounds. Another Pac-12 player from USC. And again, I'm not fond of it. I mean, he has a little more burst. But again, he's slow. He ran a 4.65 at his pro day. I think a lot of people think that with the lack of wide receiver talent, that this is the guy that'll seize the moment. But he's just not that talented to really separate himself from the pack. And his current ADP is sitting as a mid-14th round pick. He's coming off the board as the best receiver in this Lions bunch. 
I mean, you can't really fault anybody for taking a gamble on a 14th round pick, right? Like, if you really want to do it and you really want to gamble on it, go for it. Knock yourself out. At this point in the draft, though, I'd rather take a shot on someone like the rookie wide receiver Terrace Marshall in Carolina or Paris Campbell in Indy who actually has talent to seize a wide receiver one role with that team. Yes, it's potential. Yes, it's opportunity. But you can't forget about the talent. And those two guys I just mentioned have way more talent than St. Brown. St. Brown is basically just a clone of all those other crap receivers I just went through. So overall, I'll be passing on all of these receivers and I won't be missing out on much going without one of these lions. But the guy with the best chance to lead the team in receptions, yards, and touchdowns we've saved for last. And the guy I'm talking about, you all know who it is, is the tight end TJ Hawkinson. He finished as the tight end four overall last year in fantasy. He was drafted with the number eight overall pick in the 2019 draft. And he's in line to have a big monster year. His measurables are great. And he's been in the conversation as one of the next big NFL tight ends since his arrival. He finished last year with 67 grabs, 723 yards, and six touchdowns. But with Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones out of the picture, Hawk is now the guy on the team with a lot of vacated targets. He now has a chance to seize that Darren Waller role on the Lions. Now's his time to shine, and I think he can. One of the beautiful things about Hawk is oddly Jarrett Goff. With what should be a very chaotic year from Goff, should come a lot of underneath dump-offs to the tight end. Goff's average depth of attempt was the fourth shallowest last season ahead of only Alex Smith, Drew Brees, and Nick Mullins. We've seen Goff have success with the tight end before, Tyler Higbee and Everett in LA, and those two don't nearly have half the talent that Hawkinson does. One of the problems is, he should now receive a lot of attention from the defense due to the lack of talent on the team, but Hawk should have the skill set to fend for himself. And as a mid-fifth round pick, he comes cheaper than the big guys at the top. Travis Kelsey's stock is too high coming off that career year with only room to come down. I've seen Kelsey come off the boards in mock drafts in the first round. It's insane. That stock is too high. Don't be that guy. We still don't know what the deal is in San Francisco or what that offense might look like under the new rookie quarterback, Trey Lance. So taking George Kittle that early is also risky. We already discussed Darren Waller's third round value as the only tight end I would consider taking that early. And, I'm, and the closer I get to my drafts, I think I'm going to because he's the guy on that team. It's similar to this Lions team. There's not a lot of good wide receiver talent there. And Waller's the star. Mark Andrews' production has taken a dip as the league continues to figure out Lamar Jackson. And that team is a very successful run-heavy, run-first type of offense. Kyle Pitts is a rookie. And we've seen this from even Hawkinson in the past where it sometimes takes these tight ends to get acclimated to the NFL. Look at Mike Gesicki in Miami. All the talent in the world. And he's just starting to unlock his full potential as he enters his fourth season. My point of all this is, as a mid to late fifth round pick, he's somewhat of a steal since he should be the guy absorbing all the targets. If you miss out on Waller or you don't feel comfortable taking the rookie pits that early, TJ Hawkinson is your guy. 
he's primed to ascend to stardom. And if he doesn't do it this year, especially with a head coach that specializes at the tight end position, then we can write him off as a bust. But until then, I think he's a phenomenal grab as a fifth round pick. And if you're following my draft strategy, you should already have two secure workhorse running backs, one or two underrated elite wide receivers, or possibly your quarterback, <coughs> Lamar Jackson. And as we enter the fifth round, if Hawkinson is still there, I think it's a great pick for a player who's primed with maximum opportunity. So go get Hawkinson. So after all that, on today's episode featuring the Detroit Lions, there's only one player on this team that I think is worth drafting, and his price comes on the cheap for a position where points are hard to come by. And that's our show for today. I hope everyone enjoyed the episode as we start the new month of August with the NFC. Tomorrow, we continue through the North with some juicier teams. I know this was a rough one to get through, but we got to do it. This is how we find the diamonds in the rough. It just turns out that this diamond mine is a dud. All right. And with that, we will see everyone tomorrow. But until then, take care of yourselves.